Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Today, we're going to cover something that we've never done before because it's the genesis of selling anything, really. And it's about product development. So my guest today is Adrian Chernoff. He's currently an Amazon seller, but really his strength and his methodology to develop new products is is his thing so he's a true product visionary with 91 patents and counting and he's also been honored with uh, 20 awards including time magazine's coolest invention of the year what you see in the background is something that he developed he'll tell you what it is in a second and uh, he's also an advisor to several companies where he previously held positions so with that, uh, Adrian, I mentioned the, uh, the genesis of every business, and that is the product, and that's what you do. So in, in this day and age, with the Amazon being the huge marketplace, a lot of individuals, entrepreneurial or otherwise, with, they come up with product idea to basically build their brand. So everybody is a brand these days, especially with social media being very instrumental in building that brand awareness. So uh, the approach to building a brand for a product line is always beneficial to be based on numbers. So wherever there is demand, you look at the keywords, how much volume there is, and then how much competition there is for that particular keyword. And then let's wrap that keyword uh, around the product and then build the brand. So you, on the other hand, have a totally different approach, right? So you do this in a totally different way and you've been doing it obviously successfully. It's recognized in every possible way. So tell us about uh, what it is that you do and how you do it. And in the process, tell us what that thing is behind you in the, in the background. <laughs> Hey, Nick, thanks so much for having me on your show today. Thanks so much. Um, you know, there's, there's, I think as an inventor, uh, an executive leader, all, all these, whatever I, these things I've embodied over my career, is there's an innate uh, intuition to uh, anticipating what's going to happen next. So, so I'm, I'm in essence, I'm a visionary. I can see where things are going to go based on aggregating, whether it's data or insights or just trends or understanding unmet needs of, of, of where things are. But in my, in, my, in my career, the data has never really been there uh, to leverage. You have an idea, you then sculpt it together, you, can, you compile it together, and then you go out and see whether people like it or not. But the, the, you're, you're, you're never starting from the point where the data says, do this, because there's um, partly, I think there's a bubble up idea when you're coming up with an idea and envisioning, envisioning something. In creating something, there's a, there's a there's an emotional and intuition kind of combination going on that you're getting compassionate around, or or um, you're really excited about this idea, and that passion drives the development, and that passion is part of your brand too, but it's it's coming from that product or service that you're creating or 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 uh, engineering or developing, and I think we should talk a little more about that, and that and now the availability of data because yes, you can mine these key words. But is that really the product or service you should be going after? And how, and and given that that Amazon is so competitive in all these different segments, how are you going to break through these these competitive keywords? Because other people are there today, and you may not even have a product that even answers those keywords. So let's let's have this this conversation. Let's go through it, and we'll get to this skateboard thing in, in a little bit. Yeah. So uh, so are you suggesting that you uh, combine the passion with the data? Or you, you let the passion drive it either way. Well, I think leadership is different too in organizations now. And so when you're developing products, 
it's not it's not necessarily a top-down derivative as you used to say. So you could say, we're going to design this product and let's go do that. Now you've got teams engineering and developing it, and they and you have to drive a, a vision or purpose and a reality around this product or service you're creating. And that that may or may not have data that supports it. So how do you drive a development team in creating these services or even and once you've developed them and you're, and you're selling them and you're marketing them and you don't have the data? So I think, I think that you can do both if you have the data, but typically in my career, the data doesn't exist and you have to build it to then, and then to, to substantiate the data that supports what you're doing. So I think the, you know, if you look at Apple's products, the data was never there for Apple's products, right? They, they engineered it, they created it, and they deployed it. There was a strong sense of where the, where the industry was going, whether it was the new the iPhone or iPad or iWatch or whatever's coming out next. There's, there, there's kind of a, a feeling or an intuition where that's going to go. But the data is not proven. I mean, look at Apple first created the iRocker, which was the first their music portable music player, which bombed in a partnership with Motorola. But then they they figured out why it, why it didn't succeed is because the infrastructure to support uh, a media player wasn't there to for data distribution and all the networks. So they had to actually engineer from the ground up their own device to and and so they. There was an unmet need in the, in the industry that no one had solved before because all the traditional players were doing it the same way and they had to do it differently. And so the, the data just wasn't there. Yeah. So actually, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So there's so many moving parts. You know, they, they, they always say that the simple things are usually the most complicated, right? So because they, they have, they thought of uh, everything and then put it in place. So the success of iPod, the music, that's where it started. Really, it was not iPod, it was the, the iTunes. So they built iTunes, they cut the deals, and then when they released the, the device, the device was just something to bring people into that environment. Uh, but I, I wanna know, so basically what you're saying is, data is, of course, it's valuable, but generally it's wrong to look at the data because the good things that, that can come out of your vision, your, your knowledge, there is no data for them in the first place. So you really need to drive the product development based on a vision. And, and you have a methodology because then the next question is, well, how do you know something is gonna be successful? That's where your methodology comes in, right? So walk us through your methodology. How do you go about creating something from nothing? Yeah, so I, I wanna answer that, but I think there's something that, that occurred to me when you are bringing up some of what you just said. I think it depends on the data might be really beneficial if you're doing something that's one or two steps out where, where it's not very complicated. Um, you're not disrupting an industry. You're, you're evolving your existing product line. So you're creating a different skew. For example, your Campbell's soup and you make soup that, that has no, no uh, noodles in it. So the next ingredient you're adding noodles in it. I know you have the noodle line. That's kind of a, a next step. And I think the data can support that because you are, you have an existing product line and you're kind of, you're augmenting that and you're kind of progressing that product line. I think in a lot of spaces that I've been in is that there is no natural, the natural steps are being worked on, but we need to figure out what's what's beyond that. And that's where I think that, I think the data is relevant and important where you're, where you're right at the front line and something's coming next. But when you step beyond what's next, that's where, where um, insight and trends and, identifying behaviors kind of will, will point a direction where you think something could be or support something where it's going to be, but you don't have any concrete evidence yet. Mm -hmm. And that could be in, you know, I've been in, you know, as a, a VP of J and J and uh, for medical devices. And um, what you see behind me is I was a chief creative engineer at General Motors and I invented that platform. Maybe I'll talk about that to kind of answer the methodology is what you see behind me is, is an invention that at its time changed the industry, but it took 20 years to actually come to life. So when I, I was brought into GM and the, the challenge that we were faced is we have all these vehicles today. And what is the next hundred years of transportation? That's a lofty goal. There's no data what the next hundred years is. There's a data what where trucks and cars and SUVs are going, but what, what is going to displace that? Or what is the future of that? And so electrification wasn't even a term we had in automobiles electrifying the automobile, which is what I did, that just, it wasn't something that existed. Uh, we had uh, hybrids were just coming on, the, 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 the Toyota Prius is coming on. 
the idea that you know that you could you could put electric electronics or something in a car was just evolving. And so looking at what, what we had to do is we had to just kind of get our minds, and I think this might help your you, the audience too, is you have to you have to get your mind unplugged from the constraints that you have today and envision yourself in the future. And so you envisioning yourself in the future is you try to remove some of the constraints. So a constraint in an automobile today is that you've got an engine in the front of the car. And that means that everything is de derived by the engine, where the steering column is, and the pedals, everything where you sit in the car, the, the console that goes between you and the passenger, everything is the gas tank under the back seat or um, the speakers in the, in the back of the roof or the trunk or all kinds of, like all this stuff is constrained and you have very little wiggle room to move stuff. So you say, listen, let's get rid of the engine. Let's get rid of all these constraints and let's see what technologies and solutions that we can think of in the future that allow us to redefine or reinvent what that future is. And so once you start living in that future, you start picking and choosing what technologies and unmet needs you can solve. And, in, and a solution set would be, well, if you could, you could displace all that technology into a, into something, a different form factor. And what you see behind me is a, a, a battery pack or a fuel cell system and a flat chassis and electric motors in the wheels. There's nothing above it. So you can create whatever you want on top of it. So you can engineer a platform for any vehicle size and then create the styles of bodies you want on top of it, which is completely radical because this is all by wire technologies and there's no mechanical linkages. It's protons and neutrons and whatever. It's all this stuff moving around. It's not physical and mechanical means. And then once you figure that out, that future, that vision, that purpose of reinventing the vehicle, then you backtrack to today and you figure what's that first iteration step to get there. And what's interesting about that is that when you you take that first step of what you, what you get there, that is still disruptive enough in the industry that you're, you're, you're ahead of your competitors to do so. This, to give you context, this was showcased 20 years ago, uh, just a few weeks in January, just literally you know, a couple months ago, 20 years ago. And today, um, te you know, Tesla's adopted it early on back uh, with their vehicles. Uh, Rivian, Re, uh, General Motors, uh, Chevy's announcing they have a new Chevy, Chevy Silverado coming out in 2023 that's based off of this. Uh, um, VW invested $30 billion to develop these platforms based on this. And yesterday there was an announcement with Ford that they're gonna be using this platform for their vehicles too. So that's radical, but it took 20 years to become reality. So this is the evolution of anything new, right? So, I mean, that's why they say uh, marketing a new product is the most expensive because you have to educate the public. But I wanna go back to a few things you said, because I picked out uh, some things that could be applied by anybody really. So. First, I heard you say you have to develop a vision. So what is the product? And while developing that vision, you have to, whatever the space you are in, you have to imagine all the constraints not being there. So in the case of car, so the engine in the front, so imagine there is no engine. Imagine there's nothing. So in other words, you are, unleashing anything that can be done without anything that will obstruct. So yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine all the constraints not being there. And then I, I heard you say purpose. Then you define the purpose. Is that the order in which you, you kind of apply this approach to this methodology? Nick, that was great. Yeah, I think you, you, I think you, you picked out some very key elements there. Is that you have to create a vision of where that future is going to go, but the purpose is what drives you. The purpose is what motivates you in developing that product or service that that invigorates the brand, invigorates marketing, invigorates everything. And the purpose is something that that instills what you're going to do in the near term and the long term. And then, so you've got your, so you, you got the, you have multiple components. You create your vision of where you want to go, which is way out there in the future. And it, and it aggregates all your brands or products and services together in this future vision. So if you want to dominate a category, you're going to have to grow all these products and services underneath this big vision. And the purpose is what's going to motivate each of those product lines to, to deliver on that promise that you're going to deliver. And then underneath that, you're going to have different product or brand goals 
And then each one of those, you're going to have products that you're actually engineering, developing. They all ladder up because your 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 brand. You could be an individual as a brand. Your your uh, your your corporation can be a brand. Your your everything's a brand, but they all have to ladder up to a, to a purpose and a vision, because you're just you, you can't be stagnant in this world with a single product or not evolving your product or coming up with a next product. So there's a the vision helps you align uh, everything, and then and your purpose drives kind of the you know with Nike you know let's do it. So what does it mean? Let's do it. So let's think about that for just a moment. If we're just sitting on the sidelines watching the game, are we doing it? So if, if we're not making the best shoes out there, are we really doing it? Or if we're not being the best athlete, are we really doing it? So the purpose for Nike, let's do it, really drives not only the consumption of their products and services, but it motivates the, the internal employees to deliver on the promise of let's do it yeah. in themselves. So if I'm holding up the purchasing order, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh, th th this is great. So I mean, you, you've 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 very uh, craftfully also went into the uh, the marketing communications aspect of it because now you added the, the tagline, right? God knows. I mean, that's easy. Let's do it. Okay. Now we all say it, but God knows how much time they took. Uh, so uh, it, this is. So this is this is very important because I want to really solidify this because a lot of people don't really see it this way. It's it's kind of uh, it's all instinct driven. So develop a vision for the product while developing that vision. Imagine all the constraints in that space; they don't exist. And then define the purpose of that vision, and then define that purpose in a way that is staged because it may not be possible today with the constraint because you're going to bring the constraints back but that's a different uh, part of it but define the purpose and then translate that purpose into goals based on the stage yeah. of you know the the release of what you are envisioning and and then start implementing it and in that implementation i heard you say that once you develop that vision and then you define the purpose you then work backwards to today. What can we implement today? And that gives you today's product. It will still be disruptive enough. It will help you define yourself and differentiate yourself from competition, but it will still be a product, but you will already have your next one and the next one and the next one lined up with their individual goals. So that's the methodology I'm hearing. Is that, is that right? Yeah, and I, I think the, the so there's two things that come to light from when you said that was, you know, we're selling product as a business. We sell product. We got to move product. That's what drives us and motivates us. But that only gets you with you know this quarter, the next six quarters, the next couple of years. But you don't have a roadmap. Even if you have a product roadmap, your roadmap might be two to three, five years. You know, three let's say three to five years out. But you're 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 kind of plotting what three years is out, but it's not aligned to a future vision and purpose. So, so it's, um, I think it helps, it helps aggregate all these things. And the last thing I, I kind of tying it all together is that this vision and mission and purpose and, and, and products and brands, you know, who's responsible for that. So I'm an engineer, I'm an engineer, you know, I'm also a, an executive leader and an advisor and a coach, but, what, what I recognize that marketing owns part of this, sales owns part of this, the, the R&D and engineering organizations own part of this. Um, as If you're a sole proprietor, you're leveraging all these people to do this for you and you're responsible for it. But there's, in, in, depending on the scale, scale, and scale and size of your organization, someone has to own it um, and, and champion it and align all these dots together in your strategic plan as you're deploying new products and services and scaling them. What, what happened, so this is kind of the innovation uh, challenge, is, I would say, is that once you've aligned vision and, vision and mission and purpose and all this stuff that's going on and you're developing your products, what happens is the organization has a, a shift where the immediate need is to sell that current product or service and you, for, you lose sight of the future and you lose sight of that roadmap and you need to close the sales for this next sales cycle and you need that inventory because you know, right now shipping is delayed by six months. So everything's being pushed back. 
And pretty soon you lose sight of vision and purpose and you're just focused on today's businesses uh, and solutions. And I feel in my experience that that, that, myopic, that myopic approach of operational efficiencies and operational goals is all based on near term. And you really have to dedicate that next phase in a very critical and important way. And even so much, even if it's going to cannibalize your existing product line when you're creating what's new. And so it's, there's a tension between now and next. And this helps you get to next without, while you're still, if the vision and, and the vision and purpose is correct, you can still deliver on now. Yeah, I mean, this is, we, we have examples of this, like Facebook, you know, we've all seen the movie, Social Network. And uh, he's, he's working on this thing. It's starting to pick up steam and his partner set up deals for advertisers. And he says, well, I need this to be ready because I have the advertisers coming in. I'm going to cut a deal. And he says, who cares about advertisers? We've got something big here. I'm not going to change what I'm planning. Forget the advertisers. So because he had a vision and he knew that he could not sacrifice that. And also you, you apply, I mean, the program is Amazon Legends. It's about Amazon. So I'm going to bring this back to Amazon. But um, Amazon is also a very good example of what you mentioned. Jeff Bezos, in, in his statements to the investors, he said, we're going to keep trying new things and we're going to fail at most of them. But we are going to keep trying them despite the failures because that's one of those things will hold that will be successful. So, and of course, you know, we, we see so many things now. They are all over the place. So you have to... It's it, there is a tension, but somebody has to pay the bills. That's another reality. So, um, so there is one more element here. I think that let's say that you have that. So, of course, for creating something brand new, there is no data. But once you set the tone and you say, okay, this is the product, this is the vision, this is the purpose, and here is what we are going out with then at that point, now it becomes communicating what the product is about. And at that communication stage, data can play big role, right? So, so for Amazon sellers out there who are, or wannabe sellers out there with their own product line, it right, the right approach is to me is to take your approach and then build a vision and then define the purpose and then come up with what it is that you're going to go out with and then find the right kind of data with the demand to define what the demand is so that you can position it yourself in order to go out there and get because at the end of the day it's going to come down to coming up in the search results and then clicking and then you know hopefully converting some of those that will become orders Right. So, I mean, what, what do you, what is your take on that? So you're now we're living in the world of marketing and outreach and sales. So product positioning. So maybe I'll step back. So yeah, I'm an engineer, but I also led marketing too at Kodak. So in developing and launching best in class printers. And what I, you know, it's interesting because as an engineer, I'm, I'm rooted in solving a key problem to deliver a product to the market. But as a marketer, I have to understand how to communicate that value to the market that resonates in a way that'll drive action. Action meaning someone's going to buy my product or service. Um, hopefully, it's it's got a great quality product, and there's going to going to be any negative blowback with the quality and performance of my product because that's that's one of that's that you're 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 kind of leaning on a marketing pr perspective that I've got a really great product and I can message it now. So that the art the, now it's kind of a question of art and science. So now. The art side is how, how do I creatively apply the messaging to, to resonate with those consumers, leveraging the science, the data that exists out there, um, uh, keyword searches, uh, competitive marketplace, the competitors and their, their sales. I mean, I'm gonna, I would, from a marketing perspective, I will know the sales volumes and distributions and markets of all the competitors out there and where my products can uniquely be positioned amongst those so I can, I can own that swim lane. Um, I can't compete in all these, these swim lanes, but I can look at the data 
and I can say there, there's something unique about my product that I really have to advertise and promote to cut through the noise. But you know, if, if I'm selling a printer, I mean, there's how do I do that? There's every, there's 20 companies selling printers out there. So in our messages, for example, Kodak is we had the lowest priced ink, great great printing quality, the you know the best printing quality out there, lowest priced ink. So we can message that and cut through the clutter to to, to move you know hundreds of millions of dollars in sales for for printers. But the challenge I think for either big businesses or small businesses is that then how do you convert that? And now you continue to message it. And how do you evolve and adapt that messaging because your competitors are gonna be monitoring you too. And they're gonna jump right in on your message too. So they're gonna say, we have cheap ink too. And pretty soon you're, how you cut through it, you're gonna to have to figure another way to cut through it. So you're, 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 you're gonna to have to come up with a way of continuing to message different audiences and the benefit, I think, in, 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 in marketing today is you can localize your advertising in, for example, different states in, in the United States. You can regionalize their messaging. You can target certain audiences based on certain keywords. Uh, you can do outreach. You, um, and then you can do different kind of blasts, whether you do infomercials, commercials, all kinds of stuff supporting that. But when you do those commercials or infomercials or blasts, you always have to go back. What's your, what, how are you going to cut through that noise to stand out? And that's the art combined with science to do that. And sometimes it's more art than it is science because you're, 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 the value prop that you've gone to, that you've defined and your vision and, and, and mission, all that stuff kind of ties it together. We're the best, we're the best out there. And this is why. And this is why it's going to help make your life better or easier or solve the problem that you're, you're faced with today. So tell us about how you translated this approach to the product you developed that you're currently selling on Amazon. And then tell us about how you position your Amazon uh, products and your, your listings. That's great. So let me tell you about my product, you know, as an example. So and you know, I'll date myself. So 2004, uh, Staples ran an invention competition called the Staples Invention Quest. And 8,100 people entered their idea. And I was... I didn't have an idea. I, I wrote down an idea on a piece of paper, I sketched it out, and I put it in the mail and I sent it off. And of those 8,100, I was selected onto 100. And I, I'm, the reason why I tell you this story is that I had an idea. And then from that idea, I had to figure out how to make it real. So I was out of 100 people that were selected. Now I had to come up with a prototype and figure out what the heck this thing was. So I named it Rubber Bandits because it, it was a labeling product. It was a label that goes on a rubber band that you can wrap around items that you can easily identify. But it was a paper sketch. And so now I had a, you know, so I started with the, the development cycle of I just need to make it. So I prototyped it. I went in and did my pitch like five weeks later. Um, they loved it. I went to the finals. Um, and then I, made, I had to you know, package it, engineer it, design it, make a limited production run, uh, communicate and sell it. And my product was selected to go to market. And it was sold in 1,200 stores around the world. And it did well, but it was always in an end cap. Um, and I wasn't, and, and the reason why this is an important story to share with you is that I didn't control the messaging, Staples did. And even though I can't, the, the brand was mine, the, the, the product was mine. This is, this is right here. This is, it's a rubber bandits. It's a label that you can write on. It's an indestructible label on a rubber band. Um, and uh, it sold for a number of years and then it went offline. And then I decided I wanted to make it myself. So I improved the product. I then looked on, worked on my messaging. So, so I didn't even have a tagline. So this is my product. It's, you know, rubber bandits. And, and I had to figure out what it, what the, the, the tag was. Well, these are flexible labeling bands, but I didn't have that to begin with. And I think most, most people starting have a product, but they don't know the, the descriptor. So rubber bandits, great. It's a, it sounds catchy. It's a neat name. But what's, what is it really? Well, these are flexible labeling bands. And that took me a very long time to figure out. But I think for your, you know, the folks listening, that's really key. Like how, you're a Snickers bar, but what, is that, what does Snickers really mean? For most of us, we've had a Snickers bar, so we can kind of define it's got nuts in it. And, but we don't know what it is. It's a chewy, nutty bar, right? So now this is a chewy, nutty bar that I'm selling. So then from that, I had to define what, how it's going to solve that, that, that service. And once I define that and the packaging, all those elements, then I could go out there and I could, you know, I could put it on the Amazon store and sell it. Um, and the tricky thing, and this is where I think we, you and I need to talk about, which I think is going to be helpful, is that, yeah, I've got, I, you know, there's bumps and it's, it's very difficult to get on the Amazon store. It's, it's not seamless. Um, 
you, you can get a, you get an, uh, an FSN number uh, for your F, your SKU because I've got I've got I'm fulfillment by Amazon, and if I did it incorrectly and I produced all my labels with my FSN number, and then I have to delete my record because it's incorrectly done because I'm gonna do multiple SKUs versus single SKUs, I have to go back and reprint all my labels, which I had to do, which is very painful, um, versus just putting another label on everything. So my question for you is, so I've put my product out there. It's, it's got five-star reviews, remember, like two years now running. Great product. It sells. It doesn't drive a lot of sales. And, and, and then my messaging is tight. But my concern and my question for you is, how do I advertise this? Because it's so expensive to advertise on Amazon and to reach the right audience. Maybe you can help me understand how to break through that because I know how to message it. But I, but I, I find that it can be very expensive on Amazon to do so. Yeah, so, okay, so you've got a product and that product is going to be listed on Amazon and how you're going to list it is, is key. First, it starts with what I usually do is you can, these days you can list anything and it will get picked up and then it will be associated with a category. And by the way, when you apply for a seller account, you have to be approved for a category. And some categories are what they call gated, needs approval because they have enough sellers, enough products, they don't want too, too many. So uh, you will be associated with a category. So you have to find which category you wanna sell under. Some categories have a lot more popularity than others. So therefore, and, and some items can be in multiple categories. So which category you pick so that you have the most exposure, that, that's where it starts. So I, I start there. That's the easy part. You can go and check. There is a website called FBA Toolkit that I use. You can look at every category and then just put as the product rank 1,000, for example. That's a very good rank. And see how many orders that category is getting. So that tells you which category is good. So once you pick the category, the next thing that I look at is your revenue model. <laughs> your revenue model is going to really drive all those answers because if you have the wrong revenue model, that means that even if you're selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of it every day, you're not gonna make money. So you create the revenue model and in your revenue model, you always build enough for advertising. So a good rule of thumb I have is the product cost, landed product cost has to be ideally between 20 to 30% of how much you're selling it for. And then depending on, of course, the item size and dimensions and, and the weight, your fulfillment that you get Amazon to do has to be anything between 12 to 16%. And then you pay 15% to Amazon. So you add up the numbers, you've got about 45% left, roughly. If you spend 20% of that on advertising, you've got 20 something percent going net into your pocket. That has to be the model. If that model is not possible, then it's gonna be challenged no matter which way you go. So you have to set up the model. So you may say, well, how do I do that? You know, my product is very cheap. Well, create bundles, create packs. Now there's a difference between bundles and packs. Packs are multiple pieces of the same item. Bundles are multiple items put together into one. So you mentioned uh, FN SKU. So that's the Amazon fulfillment SKU. I would not, if you are creating your own product, I would get a UPC and then just stick with the UPC. Don't worry about the FN SKU. And that way you don't have to print anything. You just basically issue the UPC. UPC will be as, uh, attached to that uh, ASIN that Amazon creates. And then if in the future you create a distribution network and you have your supply chain, your resellers, they will also use the same UPC and then they'll become a seller under the same listing. So, uh, but you being the brand owner, obviously, will give you the advantage. So those are the things that I can give as an answer to your question. A lot of things, of course, 
Of course, if you start these things the wrong way, then they'll stick with you forever. Uh, so you have to be careful. And, you know, but that's why I always say, you know, Amazon platform, some things are irreversible. So seek advice, professional advice, before you do it yourself. It's not a good idea to do it by watching YouTube videos because you don't know how up-to-date those videos are. So it, it always pays at the beginning to get started the right way. And then, of course, you, you, you talked about the competition. So tell me how you figured out those keywords, then I can tell you how I we usually do it. <laughs> so, all right. So I'll talk before I get to competition, there are two elements, though. So, for example, my products in two categories, right? I can be rubber bands, which is very competitive, or labels, which is so... The challenge is those categories are, you know, I'm in between them. So that's the first one that's kind of a pickle, right? So which word do you land and, and where you're at? As far as competitors go, for me, you know, there is, there is, there is nothing like the product that I have that, that, that exists today. So I have a, a nearly indestructible label that's waterproof and, and tear resistant. You can write on. Uh, and if you use pencil, you can reuse it. And the rubber band is uh, non-latex and, and synthetic. So it lasts a very long time too. So it's interesting that there's some values in, in the engineering of the product, but really the, the end point is, is why do people care? Is that they, when you organize things or if you're, 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 you need to find it, how do you quickly find something that you have? And a label is very helpful, but the problem with some labels is that where you put them, you don't have access to. And so that's a nice thing is a flexible label. You can put the label out or sticking out where you need it. So from a competitive standpoint, I know the sales volumes of rubber bands. I know this, the, the, who's moving a lot of labels, but they're not in my, in my, in my category. Um, I also have products that, that, have, that have copied my, the similar name, uh, rubber bandits with a Z instead of an S on the end, and they sell elastic bands for workout. And so now I've got to advertise above them and they're advertising quick, you know, heavily in their category. So I think that the question is, I understand the competitive marketplace and I understand the pricing structure because my product is, you know, you know, individual products, the single products are $4.99, bundle products are $10.99 for three. So I've got, I've got the bundling down and I sell mostly, most of my stuff is the volumes in, in bundles, but I don't move a tremendous amount of volume because it, the advertising dollars and the, and the premiums because of fulfillment by Amazon and all the other fees and, and fees that are there, when you're, when you're under a certain volume, it's very cost prohibitive to advertise. So the question is, what, how much do you spend before you make money uh, to, to get the momentum out there? So, you know, let's assume you make nothing for, for this first six months because you're just advertising the heck out of it to get placement and get promoted. And then when do you scale that back? Because I feel like in a, for a low cost product, you're doing a lot of advertising just to get out there. And for a startup like me or others, that could be very challenging because you've invested so much in your product and engineering with the packaging and, and, and manufacturing, and you've got warehouse full of product. And now you, you're, you're stuck between how much do you advertise and you're not moving enough product and you got warehouse expenses to handle. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, there's a few things. First of all, multiple category is okay, but by category, by picking the right category, I'm not referring to the, the sub, sub, sub category. I'm referring to the top level category. They call it the top level category, um, TLC for short, um, not to be mistaken for tender love and care, but it's the TLC. You want to pick the right TLC for your category and then see which one is getting. Like, for example, in your case, um, just to clarify what your product is, actually, it's a, it's a genius product. It's very simple. And we all have this. We put a rubber band around a bunch of things and then, you know, th there is no label. And if they are it's this variations of the same thing, sometimes you don't know what that bundle is. So yours comes uh, with a label attached, which is fairly sturdy. You know, you, you can't really, uh, it doesn't get damaged easily. So it's a very clever product, but it's a very low, low ticket item. So uh, now it could be in office, it could be in household. So which one do you pick? So those would be the top levels. So I would look at the numbers and then see which one and then and go there. Now, the, there is a methodology for competition. So your approach is, I mean, usually this is how people approach. Okay, my product does this, so therefore 
yeah, we really don't have any competition, but really if it was it's the perceived competition would be this. I wouldn't look at it in that sense and then try to come up with the, the words to describe. I would go search how people would search and then see who is coming up. So whoever is coming up that is somewhat uh, similar to your kind of product, because that's how people will search. You can easily extract the keywords that that competitive listing is indexed for. And then you can pick and choose out of those based on the numbers, because of course you don't want to pick the keywords that have low demand. Usually you want to pick anywhere between 3,000 to 10,000 searches per month. So pick those keywords and also pick those keywords where you have the least number of competition. There are tools, I, I always recommend Helium 10. So you can go to Helium 10 and plug in an ASIN and you have filters. You can say, give me all the keywords that have between 3,000 to 10,000 and with a competition less than 1,000. And, and the key, I want the keywords that are organic or I want the keywords that are sponsored. So if you pick the keywords that are sponsored, clearly, if you are advertising, you're going to be going up against those keywords that, with your bid. But if you pick the keywords that are organic, then and that, that are not being sponsored, now you have an opportunity there. So you can then go advertise on those. Uh, the other thing that I would say is, if you have a low ticket item, clearly shipping is going to be the same, no matter how many pieces you ship, yeah, up to certain amount. So you can create those bundles and packs in a way that will be good for businesses to purchase. So this could be a B2B play on Amazon, which by the way, is the fastest growing marketplace, B2B marketplace. People don't know this, but Amazon launched this Amazon business program they give out of their own pocket terms, uh, term discounts and things like that. Uh, you will also see, and for those who don't know, if you are in the Amazon business program, you're selling as a seller, in your settlement page, you have two tabs. One is called standard orders. The other is called invoiced orders. So invoiced orders are orders that Amazon invoiced the, the, the buyer for and given 30 days. So at your expense, so you just wait until also you will see a little advertising on the side. You wanna get paid earlier, apply here. So they can actually, of course, they'll make money on it. They'll finance it for you. But that's the, uh, the, the, uh, the approach that you can take. So that way you can sell cases or, you know, cartons full of it so these are all strategies that will come down to you know again the revenue model that will drive everything so i wouldn't just focus on okay how do i advertise what we typically do when i work with my clients is we define the keywords optimization is key first objective is to get enough reviews so until you get enough reviews you really cannot be looking at ROI. So at that point, you have to write off whatever you're spending. If you get $1, uh, if you spend $1 and get $1 in sales, that's, that's what you're gonna have to do. Uh, so uh, we usually spend a few thousand dollars in the first 30 days. And then that gives us a lot of our signals, so to speak. This is where you should go. And then from that point on, the campaign starts to get optimized more and more. And then ultimately you settle down around what I said, 20%. So that's the goal, but it takes time. It's the chicken and egg, you know, you need the reviews to make a sale and the reviews come from the sale. So therefore at the beginning, you have to do as much as you can. You can, these days, there is also something called attribution that Amazon looks to promote. Uh, if you drive traffic from external sources to Amazon, to your listing, they actually give you a rebate. So, um, so these are things, but you really need to be working with somebody to, who knows all these things. Uh, I would not recommend, I've had so many guests and I asked them, 
you know, tell me about your team. And most of them, if not all of them, they say, outsource the PPC. It's just too many moving parts and changing all the time. That was really helpful. One of the things that occurred to me and what you shared is also that given that the, given the, the growth in this Amazon business program and the B2B play is that you also have to create an additional SKUs that would support that kind of uh, that, that customer. So as an example, so I have, and I, I'm just brainstorming here, but and trying to work it through. So I have three packs, right? But each pack you know, is individually packaged. There's costs for this packaging and again, they have to be bundled and there's post-op post processing to package those. But I could put a lot more in a bigger bag and, and, and create a different SKU for that that's specifically targeted for that audience. And actually from a financial perspective, I would actually make more money because I've reduced a lot of my overhead costs to support that. And so I could actually target that as from a different swim lane. So this is like a, just a very a simple step of just creating another, a, a new packaging yeah. solution. Um, so I could definitely, so I could see I could do that. Um, I also think that for, for you know, as an as a, as a, as a individual owner, I don't have a PPC, uh, someone supporting me because I didn't want to spend a lot of money on that. So I thought, you know, great, I have this great idea. You know, I know it's been great for, you know, 16 years now, and I know I can drive those sales myself. But I think the, the other reality, and I'm just come to term, is that back when Amazon started years and years ago, you could set a price and forget it. You could just set up your, your configuration, you know, set it and forget it and walk away. But what I'm from this conversation and just look, and looking back is that I think that, that you do need an operator to help you if you're, that's what you're not good at because the, the dynamics that are at play with Amazon and they're considering the consistent tweaking and modification, the competitive play and the keywords, it's a machine. And, and if you're not dedicated to it, like I'm not, because I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm an executive advisor. I'm 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 an executive boards, and I don't have time to do it every day. And so I think for me, I need to leverage that. And I think others do too. Is I think we, you know, there's I think you, there's a something I learned a few years ago is that you do what you're really great at, and you hire out for the stuff you're not great at. Exactly. And I'm not I'm not great I'm not great at this other stuff, right? And so why am I being so cheap um, and uh, myopic in so, in a certain sense to help leverage these these resources that can help grow my business? And maybe they're, you pay a premium to get there, but if I do it myself, I'm never going to get there. And it's probably going to cost me more to get there. Well, exactly. I mean, also it's a, it's a moving target all the time. Amazon is changing the rules. I want to mention something. Those who have been doing this as they should be doing it already know this, but a lot of people also don't know. Launching a listing is a significant event. You can, a lot of people without really doing things in the right way, say, okay, let's get the listings up, get the listings up, ASAP, get as many listings as possible up, and then we'll start promoting. It's the wrong way to go. Because what happens is a listing that's been put up cannot be unlisted. You, you can, of course, turn off the listing. But your history started building. It's like being born. You can't be born again, right? I mean, you can be born again spiritually, but your body, your brain, everything, it's done, right? It's a one-time event. It cannot be reversed. That's how SKUs are. So when a SKU is created, or a, I should say a listing is created on Amazon, Amazon starts collecting your performance data from day one. In fact, from the hour, because you get paid based on when your account is created, what time. So if you go back and check your settlement reports, it comes out every other week at the same time. The reason is because they indexed your settlement to what time you signed up for your account. So everything is precise on Amazon. So this thing is created, they start accumulating your, your data. The data that they are looking at is your views, your order flow, how many orders this received, what keywords have been searched, what keywords have been searched, and then your item was clicked on, and then out of those, how many clicked on, and this is the goal, number. What is your conversion rate? So I always say this, Amazon is about best customer experience, and the best customer experience is what you must provide. 
And the definition of that is this. I'm a customer. I came to Amazon, searched something with the intention to buy. I saw listings, a listing showed up. I clicked on it. I read the information. I checked out the reviews. I became confident about the product, clicked add to cart and paid for it. Check that. That is the best customer experience. I didn't have to go all over the place. I didn't have to go look at different listings. So if you are able to convert for specific keywords, that will label you as the company that provides the best customer experience and your listing is a successful listing. So, so therefore, here is the strategy. You pick the keywords that you know you're going to dominate before you put up your listing. When the listing goes up, you trigger your advertising campaign. Focusing on those keywords. And then get the people and offer deals or whatever and get as many people as possible to buy on those keywords. And now what is happening in the process is you're getting orders on daily basis. And of course, you're moving averages. Amazon always works with moving averages. It starts to build up. And within 10 to 14 days, you can actually start to rank pretty high and then end up on the first page for those specific keywords. Of course, in the process, you also have reviews. So from that point on, it just goes. If you just put up the listing and then you just let it lie, you're gonna be getting orders at best randomly for different keywords. It will never really add up to any domination of anything. So that way you won't, you need to establish those beachheads, so to speak, of keywords that you're targeting one at a time. Once you have something that uh, is formidable as a listing, then you can expand. Plus Amazon will index you anyway. So at that point, it goes all over the place, but you cannot redo this. This is done once only. So a lot of the times I tell people, do they say, oh, we are about to put up our listing. I say, don't, stop. And if they've already launched it, then I say, okay, let's look at the situation. Let's analyze what's there. And then you can just build on it. Or if it's really nothing, then I say, let's launch a different listing. Let's discontinue these, launch a different listing and do it the right way. The other thing is it's a good idea to have that parent-child situations because all the reviews appear under all of them, but if they are separate and then you bring them all under one parent, then that's a different situation. So there's just so many different moving parts and what you said is right. I mean, you really have to, uh, it's like, you know, having 100% of nothing doesn't give you much, but having a little bit of, a little bit less of something that adds up to a big deal, that's much bigger. So always uh, professional advice always pays. It does. So uh, two questions come to mind. Uh, first one is, so my product is Amazon choice. So it's, you know, but how do I promote that? How do I take advantage of that situation? And the second question that, that, that I have is that because I'm using fulfillment by Amazon, I've created my own unique, you know, listing, but I have not shipped product yet. Does it go live once product is, is it, it arrives at the warehouse and it becomes a real listing? So I can so I can still tweak the the terms and keywords and everything else because the product hasn't been received it hasn't been ignited as, as a real product or because I've created that SKU and I've gone through for example I have an antimicrobial product and I've gone through all the the, the reviews the, and all that stuff I have to do and and, this, and and submitted paperwork all that I have to do that I have to do that with the, the origination of the SKU is that still is that still kind of in beta before it's live. So two things, what do I do about, you know, the fact I'm, I'm a choice and now the SKU that's still ready to go live, is it really live? Well, Amazon choice is for specific keywords. So if you have Amazon choice badge, that's a good thing. Just find out what keyword that is for and then just advertise the hell out of that keyword. 
because that's what is giving you the most exposure and most credibility. On the, the, the building up the history, when, when, when does it start? So if you are using for, for FBA, I would always say use FBA uh, whenever possible. As long as you, your inventory is received, that's when it starts. So if you have advertising campaign, your advertising campaigns will stop the minute that you run out of inventory. So therefore, that's what you have to be careful about. Your timing is key to when your inventory is going to reach. So you have to, that's why it's a planning uh, effort. So you have to get your listings ready. You have to get, we usually do all these th things, you know, uh, plan it so that we know, okay, by the time we do this, the inventory will be there. So set up the campaign. So you basically wait until the inventory is received and then start the campaign. And this is why it's important to plan. So that's the next step, which is, you know, as soon as things start happening, especially if you have multiple SKUs, you have to maintain inventory. And that inventory cannot be interrupted. So it takes two months to catch up if your sales are interrupted because you've run out of inventory and you have a 10-day gap before the next batch is received, you didn't calculate that, all those rankings and everything else, they'll go out the window and it will take you about two months to get back to where you were. So that's why your demand planning is key. So, um, you know, uh, this is a, I mean, that's why it, it takes a lot to, to do this, but usually I ask my, uh, my, client, uh, my clients and also my guests, describing a good team and usually without a, a doubt they always say first of all out uh, bring in someone if you don't know anything and somebody has to take ownership and that has to be in the company that out you can't outsource ownership and that person usually knows the analytics and then he's in charge of the whole thing uh, you have to outsource the ppc you don't want to get into it there's somebody in demand planning Somebody has to know exactly all the moving parts and then make sure there's enough inventory. And then also somebody in charge of content, you know, all the products, pictures and, and copywriting and all that stuff. And then finally, another one for fulfillment, handling the, the, the shipment. So that's usually a good makeup. You have to be prepared for those roles. And if you don't address and you are trying to figure out, at best, you will have interruption in sales. An interruption means loss of time. Loss of time means loss of ranks. Loss of ranks means <laughs> loss of orders. So that's the way it, it uh, unfolds, unfortunately. So, uh, but anyway, that's where the fun part is. So you, you just build it as you go. So um, we're coming to the end of the show. So um, tell us a little bit about um, Adrian Chernov, who, who, who Adrian Chernoff is? AdrianChernoff.com is one website to, to find me. Uh, that's my personal brand and website. Uh, product that when I do consulting is under Ideation Genesis, uh, 2IDG.com. And my product that's on uh, that's listed online is RubberBandits.com. There's also a brand store on Amazon as well. Um, and what I do is I, I help, and I'd be happy to help any companies in, in figuring out what that next product or service is. I do that on a daily basis, trying to envision what those services are, or if there's a product or service that's being designed or developed, I help tweak it and help modify it, advising executives and CEOs and leadership teams and marketing teams and product teams of where you need to position this product to break through. Um, and it's a little bit, you know, my little product on Amazon that we talked about is a small niche product. Um, typically what I do is in these big, these I work for large organizations, you know, is it, you know so it's, it, it, I, I do the whole breadth. I'm working with four or five startups right now and, uh, and some large companies. So be happy to help if I can and just as being a, a thought partner. Um, and uh, it was delightful. Nick, thank you so much for having me on your show. This was fun. And I actually have some takeaways from my business and I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. That's the, uh, that, that's the idea if we can help anybody. But these are real life stories and and what you brought to the table was something we never really discussed. It's how an idea, idea is developed in a way that will be an innovative product. So, uh, so thank you very much. And uh, with that, this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends. <laughs>